wherever you're watching, hello. Hello, everybody. That's how we roll somewhere, somewhere along around the world. We are so thankful wherever you are that you are diving in with us as we continue our series, uh, Summer in the Prophets. And as we're in our series, Summer in the Prophets, we've kind of covered a broad depth of all of the prophets. We have been, uh, we started with Samuel. Uh, we, we got into a little bit of Daniel. We've been in the prophet Isaiah these past few weeks. And today we're going to be in a brand new prophet named Jeremiah. Uh, and so if you've got your Bible, that's where we're going to be hanging out today. But before we get there, wherever you are, I just want to ask a question. Uh, and, and, and it's a good question, hopefully. How many of us have our check engine light on currently? <laughs> all right, all right. So how do, we all know, uh, for those who are in automotive... <clears throat> Good man. All right. So everybody who's got their check engine, what do we do when the check engine light comes on? We, we don't worry about it, right? We, we put a piece of tape over it and it goes away, right? We hope that it just eventually goes away. Like when that check engine light comes on, we used to not have a check engine light. There's so many things that are in the engine. You know, normally back in the day, what you'd have to do is just replace the hamster running on the wheel in there and the thing would go. So wherever you are right now, uh, if you have a check engine light on, you know that it means if you don't have something diagnosed, there's going to be a bigger problem later, right? Apparently not. It's okay. Well, no matter what, that's what God is doing to the kingdom of Judah as he has thrown up the check engine light for them because of where they are. He is giving them a warning. And wherever you are right now, no matter whatever, no matter what season you're in, God may be throwing up a check engine light to you to say, hey, here's a warning. If you don't address it, something catastrophic could happen down the line. So that is what is happening really quick where we are right now. So that way we're all on the same page. We're kind of in that same uh, time frame. We have Isaiah and Jeremiah uh, in that same time frame. There are two kingdoms of Israel. All right, this is going to sound really confusing, but there's not. So the people of God, there was the northern kingdom that became the kingdom of Israel. And the southern kingdom is the kingdom of Judah. The northern kingdom has ten tribes. The southern kingdom has two tribes. When Jeremiah comes on the screen, on the scene, what ends up happening is the northern kingdom has been completely destroyed, like lost. The tribes have been overtaken by the Syrians and the Assyrians, and the Assyrians are pressing at the gate of Judah. Remember, we talked about Hezekiah the other week and Isaiah and praying to the Lord, and now all of a sudden, here we go, and Jeremiah comes along, and it's even more dire for the nation of Judah. And so that's where you go. So really quick, if you've tuned out and you're not interested, uh, if you think that we deal with taxes and that's something new, believe it or not, God's chosen people, the Jewish nation of Israel, split over taxes. Go figure. We talked about this on July 4th, I know, in our summer Sabbath, but that's what happened. The northern and southern kingdom split up because of taxes. Go figure. So if you think taxes are new, you're absolutely wrong. That's something that's gone all the way through. So here we are. We have God's warning to his people. And so what we're going to learn through today is this. Get yourself ready. Get yourself ready. That's what God's telling his people. He's got an engine light. He's telling Judah, get ready. Get yourself ready. Because if you, if you don't, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss out. If you don't get ready, something either really good is going to happen or something really bad is going to happen. But either way, get yourself ready. So we have Jeremiah come on the scene as we learn through this. Jeremiah is the son of a priest, okay? So he is in the priesthood. So he should be continuing in the priesthood. He's young when we see this in Jeremiah 1. He is there, and he is known as the weeping prophet. If you ever read Lamentations, we know that's about weeping. That's Jeremiah. Jeremiah wrote that. He is the most relatable prophet to us. And we'll talk about this next week before we get to uh, Jeremiah 1. Throughout all of Jeremiah's ministry, there was one convert to Judaism. He spent his entire life and only saw one salvation. So if you think that your life is meaningless, look at what Jesus has led us to be a part of here already. We've already seen more than one salvation. So one of the great prophets, Jesus has let us see more than he did. How crazy is that? Now, Jeremiah, even though he's known as the weeping prophet, he also would just lay it on the line. He was blunt. 
He told the people of God. He told the people what God exactly told him. So if you got your Bible today, go ahead and get to Jeremiah 1. We're going to spend most of our time in Jeremiah 1. I got to talk to you about one more pit stop before we get there. Jeremiah 1 is where we're going to spend most of our time. Then we're going to end up in Jeremiah 5. So if you get to Jeremiah 1, you're going to be able to see Jeremiah 5. You just flip to the right. So we've laid the groundwork where everything is. So just a real quick history, wherever you are, again, we've got a, a notes-taking kind of day. Uh, why, why is God angry? Well, God's anger is different than our anger. God's anger, when we look at things, we think angry, somebody cut me off on the way to church. Somebody, somebody stole from me. We, we, we get angry. We think our anger is something that God has. See, our anger is circumstantial. Our anger is something happened to me, uh, so therefore I react. But God's anger isn't circumstantial. God's anger is actually relational. God has a heart for broken relationships, specifically our broken relationship with him, that it makes him angry enough to do something about it, which is what we're going to see Jeremiah pointing to in Jesus Christ, his son. So when we see God's anger here, you may be praying sometimes, and you may be in a season where you say, God, why are you angry at me? Because of your circumstances. And understand God is not angry at a circumstance. He cares about a relationship. So if your relationship is severed with God, that's where you can see his anger come about. So this is why God is angry right now with the people of Israel, with the southern kingdom in Judah. I got to make sure I'm saying this right. But the Jewish people is this thing called the Mosaic Covenant. Mosaic. It's not really just this cool colors and whatever you got, but a Mosaic Covenant. Mosaic Covenant. Really quick. The fall of man happens in Genesis 3. Uh, Adam and Eve sin. God banishes them from the garden. He goes, he calls Abraham out, says, I'm going to have you pitch your tent in a land you've never been to, and I will bless your descendants. This is Abraham without children. You know, he's, he's about my age. He's about 95 or 100, but he's, <laughs> he's, uh, we, laughed about Strom Thurmond earlier. You can look him up later. But uh, anyway, uh, he's an old man when God calls him out and says, I want, to pitch your t I want you to pitch your tent in a land you have not been to before, and I'm going to bless your descendants there. So Abraham goes, and the people of God turn their back on him. He goes, his family grows, there's 12 tribes, they turn their back on him, and they go into Egyptian slavery. Out of Egyptian slavery, this guy named Moses comes up. He leads the people of God out of Egyptian slavery. And instead of them celebrating it, they get really mad at God and say, hey, we would have rather died enslaved in Egypt than walking freely in your promise. So they wander for 40 years. After they wander for 40 years, they go into the promised land. Joshua takes them into the promised land. And instead of being excited about being in the promised land, they continue to turn their back on God. Regardless of his warnings, regardless of what he tells them, regardless of the warning signs. And if you hear the Mosaic Covenant, it was literally what God told the people were this. If you will be obedient to the Ten Commandments, give your sacrifices and offerings when you break them. If you will do that and follow those, I will set you apart as a holy people. He really set them apart before that. But I will set you apart and I will give you priests that will be in direct relationship with you the direct relationship that I want to have with you. And the people of God continually broke their relationship with him and didn't want to follow the Ten Commandments. And so when Jesus comes, it's ballooned over to 600 and all that crazy good stuff. But thank God that he fulfilled this Mosaic Covenant and the Mosaic Law. I'll put my cards on the table here. God loved us enough that we get to be his sanctuary by the Holy Spirit. So now he dwells within us. So we are set apart that way, but we have a direct relationship with him through Christ Jesus. So we have a high priest that is Jesus. So that's a big overarching theme. If you got your Bible, let's go ahead and see what God's check engine light is here as you get yourself ready and God gets Judah ready. Jeremiah 1 verse 4 through 10 says this, the word of the Lord came to me saying, more on this next week, we'll talk a little bit more about this and, and four and five, but the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. So we just talked about this guy named Moses. Do you remember why Moses said he couldn't lead the people of God out of slavery? He couldn't talk. He was old. He couldn't talk. He said, I got to stutter. So he said, guess what? I'm going to send your brother Aaron. Uh, I'm going to have Aaron come along. He's going to be my mouthpiece. 
Aaron has some issues, y'all. We won't talk about that. We talk about that golden calf at the bottom of a mountain. You go read that sometime, and that's good stuff. But has some issues, but Moses gave the same excuse. Instead of being too young, he was too old, but also, hey, I, I can't talk, God. Are we, man, we are, if there was an award given for giving excuses, man, we'd get the gold medal, wouldn't we? We could tell God everything we don't want to do, but when he calls us to do something, we get angry at him. So once again, uh, Jeremiah is in this space, verse 7. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand. He touched my mouth and said to me, I've put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and to tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. So we started this off with Samuel when he goes and anoints David. Remember in 1 Samuel 16, God says, hey, man judges by the outward appearance, but I judge by the heart. And regardless of what we believe, the world we live in judges by our outward appearance more than our heart. That's just how it goes. But thank God that he sees differently. So Jeremiah's looking at his outward appearance. He's saying, I can't speak and I'm too young. And God says, that's not an excuse in my kingdom. For me, a day is but a thousand years, right? Like, I can keep going. You're not too young. I've appointed you. I've chosen you. I've anointed you. And I've sent you out. Verse 10, which is really crazy awesome to me and what we're going to kind of walk through today. He said, I've sent, I've appointed you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overturn or overthrow, excuse me, to build and to plant. That is pointing to Jesus. What Jeremiah is actually about to do, as you will see, as he is pushing back against the very priesthood that he was born into. Should sound eerily familiar. The very priesthood he's born into. He pushes back against the rulers. He literally is pushing back against religious rituals, trying to get the people back into right relationships. So he's going to overthrow and destroy the things that are religion, and he's going to build and plant. Man, this should sound like Jesus. He's going to plant and build his kingdom. Jeremiah is pointing to Jesus going forward. So the Lord says in verse 14 through 16, he is telling uh, Jeremiah, listen, the engine light is on. If Judah, the southern kingdom, does not change and does not come back to me, what happened to the northern kingdom is exactly what's going to happen to you. You're going to be completely destroyed. No matter how much Hezekiah prayed with the Assyrians at the door, no matter how much this happens, you will be destroyed if you don't turn now. It's kind of like, I'm going to count to 10 parents and, you know, I'll let you get to nine and a half. I don't really care. Like, if you're going to give me 10, I'm going to waste all, I'm going to get right up to the line and then I'm going to obey. God is telling Israel, you're right on the line. You are right on the line. Judah, I know, I'm sorry, I'm going to make sure I say right. The kingdom of Judah through Jeremiah, you're right on the line. Verse 17 through 19, which is what we're talking about. Get yourself ready. You better get ready. Stand up and say to them, whatever I command, do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. I wonder if we would be spiritually mature enough to hear God say that. I've commanded you to go out and I've commanded you to bring the gospel. It's not about winning an argument. It's not about being the top and being the best. It's about pointing to Christ. Like, will you go out? He's saying, stand up. I've commanded you. Don't be afraid. This harkens to Peter standing before the Sanhedrin. This is what I think of. They, they were not known as wise men, but they had the words of God. They knew that they were uneducated, right? Yet God worked through them. He is telling Jeremiah, Stand up and don't be afraid. Verse 18, today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you but will not overcome you, for I am with you and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. So here's the thing that we can get stuck in. We think God has a punctuation. We like to add exclamation points. We like to think God has punctuation, but he doesn't. Something that's important to him, he repeats. If you have teenagers or kids, your parents repeat something, it means it's important. Don't touch that. Don't touch that. Don't touch that. Don't touch that. It's going to burn you. It's going to burn you. It's burn. You just got burned is what it is, right? It's important. So God, God tells Jeremiah in verse 8 and verse 19 that he is going to rescue him, that the people will not overcome. So imagine that. 
Jeremiah has to speak against a whole nation. Some of us would be excited about that. Maybe me. I don't know. He has to speak against all the people that know him. He's got to just drop bombs on them, like just truth bombs. Like, if you don't confess and repent, you're going to end up like northern. And so what do you think that does to Jeremiah? It isolates him. That's why God keeps reminding him, don't be afraid. Don't make excuses. But God also challenges him in verse 17. If you are terrified by him, I will make you terrified in front of him. You know what this reminds me of? Cancel culture, right? We're going to talk about this in a second. So here's the thing I'm going to say, and I'm going to say what I mean. Here we go. Did you know Jesus is into cancel culture? He's into canceling sin, but that's about it, not us. And that's the problem we live into. And you know if you've ever been a part of cancel culture, once you are terrified in front of it, you will be consumed by it. And so that is what Jesus is saying to Jeremiah. In other words, this is his gird your loins, Job moment. He's saying, Jeremiah, stand up. So if the people aren't listening to God, he's flashing the check engine lights. Who was Judah listening to? And that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time with today to see if maybe we're doing the same thing. And I believe the Holy Spirit will show us if we do. So Jeremiah 5 verse 7 says this. This is God talking to Jeremiah. Why should I forgive you? Your children have forsaken me and sworn by gods that are not gods. I supplied all their needs, yet they committed adulteries and thronged to the houses of prostitutes. Man, that just sounds really great, doesn't it? Doesn't that just get you excited in the morning? Well, we won't get you excited. It sounds like Hosea here to me. This is Hosea and Gomer. Like this is us, the prostitute going against God, okay? I can say that. Can, can we be, okay, we, we know, I know where you are. We're, we're going to dig in. There's a lot of stuff you can go back and dive into later. So I'm trying not to get too much on a tangent because I get excited here. So who was Judah listening to? The first thing they listened to was the false god of appeasement. We just talked about cancel culture, but appeasement. So let me tell you what, what, what Judah did. How many of us know about hedging your bets? You ever heard about hedging your bets? You say, well, when you get older, your stock portfolio should change. You hedge your bets. You go into bonds, right? Like you go from the volatile stock market into bonds. It's there. So here's what Judah did. All, there are five nations that surrounded Judah that had taken over the kingdom of Israel to the north. And they told God, we'll come back to you and we'll follow your Ten Commandments the best we can. But just in case, we're going to have sacrifices to these other gods. We're going to hedge our bets. Just in case you don't deliver us, God, we're going to go ahead and hedge our bets against these, with these other nations and their gods, and we're going to sacrifice to them too. Now, the contradictory thing in that moment is that's what God is saying. He's saying, why should I forgive you? Because if we remember one of the Ten Commandments are we are not supposed to put any God above God, right? Yet the people thought, well, if I just appease everyone around me, then I will have peace. And the very appeasement of peace they tried to have is the very thing that brought about them going into Babylonian captivity. So they gave up the false god of appeasement. And so I wonder if that's where we are sometimes today. See, appeasement, if you look in Revelation, what is it that God says about the church? If they're lukewarm, they're appeased, they're trying to make everybody happy, they're either hot or cold. So what does he do? He spits them out of his mouth. So for us, if we're buying into appeasement then what we're doing is just setting ourselves up for failure because we're trying to make everybody happy, and that's just not possible. So, is, so Judah, excuse me, tries to go and appease, and here's the thing, the reason they did that. In ancient times, go figure, in ancient times, aren't you so glad we don't live this way? They thought that God was angry at them all the time, and the gods were angry at them. And the only way that they could have any relief was to appease the gods. That's why they would sacrifice their children. They would sacrifice harvest. They would sacrifice crops. They would do things. And just for a moment, they might get a little bit of peace. If they appease God, there, there's, a, there's like a, 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 inner, or a charter commercial or whatever. Don't kick us offline, people. I don't care. We're like throwing people over into the volcano trying to appease the gods of the harvest. Like that would happen. People would do that. They would just sacrifice people to think, oh, well, we have to go to Athena or we have to go to these gods to be appeased. And what ends up happening is the funny thing is in that time, we don't have this anymore. Aren't you so thankful for that? The appeasement only seemed to fall on the powerful and wealthy. Not only, that seemed to be the only people that the gods were appeased with. So glad we don't live in a world like that anymore. See, here's the thing. If you're giving, you're giving something over to the false god of appeasement. 
See, through Christ, God is not appeased but fully satisfied. And the problem is when we chase appeasement over instead surrendering to Christ, what we're doing is we're saying we're hedging our bets that in case I don't get into heaven, I'm going to have a good time down here. And that's what Judah was doing. They, instead of resting in the full satisfaction of God being fully satisfied in them, coming to him and them trusting him as their Lord and nothing else, they missed out on being able to go forward with that. So here's my question. What in your life, or, what in your life are you hedging your bets against instead of resting fully in God for his provision and salvation? What in your life are you hedging your best against for survival, for provision, for salvation, instead of fully trusting the Lord? Because the hardest thing to do is trust the Lord, especially in a time that we're in. Especially in a time where economy seems crazy, especially in a time where everything just seems chaotic. Like we got plagues like polio's back and, 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 and donkey pox and, and dog pox and, and whatever else they have. And, and I, I just had the chicken ones when I was little. I don't know. Now they've all grown. I've, we've gone through all of the farm animals. Might as well do old McDonald had a farm and every one of them get a pox. Like that's what's going to happen. Like all these things are going around. Do we trust ourselves in something that's on this earth more than we trust God? What are we hedging our bets against? Now, I'm not telling you, y'all break out a snake in here, I'm going to punch you straight in the throat. I don't roll that way. Like, I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't roll that way. I'm not talking about that. What I'm saying is, uh, are you giving God 99.5%? But I'm going to hold on to this 0.5, God. I got this. That's what's wrong with Judah. God, I know you're going to save us but we're going to make everybody happy around us. And we'll appease them. If we appease them, they won't attack us. Well, unfortunately, we read in Daniel, they did, right? Let's see what happens in verse 27 and 28 as we go in verse 5, or excuse me, chapter 5, verse 27 and 28 says this. Like cages full of birds, their houses are full of deceit. They have become rich and powerful and have grown fat and sleek. Their evil deeds have no limit. They do not seek justice. They do not promote the case of the fatherless. They do not defend the just cause of the poor. So Judah not only gave in to the false god of appeasement, they gave in to the false god of possessions. They thought if we have a trade coalition, they won't attack us. I don't make political statements up here, so don't read into it. Pray to Jesus what he's telling you. But this should sound eerily familiar to where we are today. First off with appeasement, second with possessions. They thought if we just trade with them, they won't be angry with us. Because our, our dollar means more to them. Our, our Jewish coin means more to them than them attacking us. Grave mistake. See, God says, hey, instead of you worried about your coin and your trade and what that looks like and your exchange rate with the nations around you, I called you to defend the cause of the poor, to promote the cause of the fatherless, uh, and, and to seek justice. In other words, James 1.27 talks about it. Exodus 22 talks about this, how we plead the cause of the orphan and widow. So when you hear us, the reason I want to celebrate, the reason I love our Vine fam and our sowers who give of their time, talent, and treasure, the reason we celebrate that every week isn't so that we have our name and shining lights. It's so that we stay focused on what God's called us to do. We plead the cause of the orphan, the widow, and we seek justice in the way that we do that. Not justice the way this world seems, not pleading the cause, the orphan, the widow, the way that we think the world seems is we do it God's way. Did you know that the church was always God's original welfare plan? We read Ruth and Boaz, what was happening, you can see David doing it with his men. Even Jesus, the Pharisees, came against Jesus and the disciples for doing this. You were supposed to leave the outer edges of your field for the poor and the widow. You were supposed to give that. That was supposed to be something you gave back to God when the harvest came. As a matter of fact, uh, there have been studies. I don't know fully how to do this, so forgive me if I'm giving you numbers. You can go and refute me later on it if I'm wrong. I, I would say do that if I am, but I do want to say when I was getting ready for this, if you were to look at what the people of Israel were called Judah, the nation of Judah, they're part of the people of Israel, sorry, but Judah, the kingdom of Judah, and all of God's Jewish people were called to give, is it was about 30% of what God gave them. They were, they were called to bring back or called to give to the poor. Now, why do I share that? Why is that important? I'm not going to have the tithe buckets pass across you uh, for all of that. Why do I share that? 
Because here at The Vine, God's called us to give 15% of tithes and offerings to the local church around the world and gospel-centered nonprofits every month, and we get to give 30. How crazy is that? Not by our own doing, but walking in faithful obedience. See, that, that, that's why we can't buy into the false god of possessions. That's, that's what ended up happening. I would even say, as the church abdicates itself to that, we've lost our seat at the table and culture to say that Jesus is the way. And that, that is where we are right now as a church, which is a beautiful opportunity. It's not a beat-up of the church. It's, this is the time that Jesus has given us. This is our opportunity to get ourselves ready like Jeremiah did and say, hey, Jesus is what you seek. Not a handout, not a, not a check, not an inflation-proof plan. Like, Jesus is what you need. It's not about possessions because look at the world around us. Anything that we have put our hope in right now and possessions are slowly fading away, right? Like that check engine light, if you don't get maintenance on your vehicle, what ends up happening? The tires blow off. You don't rock them till the wheels fall off. You like the, the tires just blow out. They do. But I will tell you, by God's grace, I drove 250,000 miles in a Jeep by Jesus' grace. And that thing kept going and maintained it. I will keep doing it. It wasn't about a possession. I, every time I started up, Jesus, it's yours. Let's go. Come on. It's yours. Every time she braked, I'd put it on the brake at the red light. Sometimes you got to pump her two or three times, but it would go. You'd be ready to go. We don't put our hope in possessions of this world. It's not about the one who dies with the most toys winning. It's about the one who trusts Christ Jesus. And Judah fell in that trap. And if we're not careful, we will do the same. We will think a coalition of man versus walking in the safety, security, and salvation of God is what it's all about. Jesus told us that we were not called to worry about today or worry what we're going to wear, worry what we're going to eat, and worry about what today brings because today or tomorrow brings because tomorrow has enough worries of its own. We are to leave it to the world. We are to seek his kingdom first and all of his righteousness, and that's when we can do it. So here's the thing that I want to ask you when it comes to that. Are you living like Judah? Are you worried about your coalition of man? Are you worried about your trade more than showing Jesus to everyone he places in your path? Because I will tell you, when I've worried about the business, doesn't mean I don't work hard. doesn't mean that I just say, well, Jesus, if you don't bring it, it ain't coming. I'm going to be on the beach. It's going to come in. Like, it isn't that. It's that, do I trust my hard work in my business more than Jesus to bring it? Because if I trust Jesus, I'm going to work hard. But I know that it isn't fully on me. It's on him. And I'll tell you what, if I trust him with the results, he always seems to come through at just the right time. At just the right time, he seems to come through. So what is the thing you can't live without? We talked about this. There's nothing wrong with having good things, but what is this thing you can't live? Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's the TV show. Maybe the TV show is robbing you of time with God and his word and prayer. Maybe, 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 uh, I don't know, maybe it's a, it's a, it's a dietary thing or, or, Lord, I'm going to tell you the thing I can't live without. I'm just going to put it out. Can I confess today? Sewage uh, and the, uh, have, having a bathroom. Lord, I can't live without an indoor bathroom. Don't make me go outside to go to the bathroom. I'm so thankful for a sewer. I say sewage, but I'm so th I know that sounds crazy, but I am crazy. But I, I'm being real with you. Like, thank the Lord for indoor plumbing and the time he lets me live in. Because 100 years ago, I would be screwed and so would y'all. Because y'all would never come to church. Y'all would never come to church. Because y'all be like, something smells out here. Yeah, I know he's in the latrine again. Like, that's just, I'm thankful for that. Even if I have health issues, I'm thankful for indoor plumbing. That's a simple thing. But what's the thing you can't live without? What's the thing, if it was removed from you right now, that you would be mad at God for taking it away from you? That's where Judah was. Instead, why don't we rest in his provision and protection? Hard hitter, y'all. I know. Jesus smacked me in the face with it all week. We're going to celebrate babies next week, so it's going to be okay. So here we go. One more, one more God that they listened to. So they had the false God of appeasement, the false God of possessions. Verse 31, the prophets prophesy lies, and the priests rule by their own authority, and my people love it this way. But what will you do in the end? So they had the false God of appeasement, the false God of possessions, and the false God of power. They got into the false gods of power. They got into the false gods of status. As a matter of fact, you can read in the New Testament, it talks about in the end, uh, as, 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 as it talks about uh, even Jesus ascended. So you know when I talk about end times, we, we've been in end times since Jesus went to heaven and said, I'm coming back. So be ready for that. We can talk about that later. He said the people will be deceived because their ears will be tickled. They'll like what they're hearing more than confessing and repenting. They'll like what they hear. They like the person who tells them what they want to hear 
Doesn't mean you gotta be a jerk about it. Just they like that. It tickles their ears. They, they leave feeling good every time for what the public speaking happens instead of the Holy Spirit speaking to them. And see, this is what Jesus pushed back against. What is it that he said? The Pharisees and the Sadducees came in. He flipped tables because this is what they did. They, they would go around and they wanted to have power. He said, hey, you want to have the highest seat of honor at every table you go to? You pray only so that you were heard in the streets. You'll actually cross the entire sea to get one convert Convert, convert, Lord have mercy. Uh, one, one conversion, you're only converting them to be more a son of hell than you are a son of God. So see, we have to be careful when we care about our status. We care about the thing behind the comma. Because let me ask you something. The thing behind the comma, do you, does, that, does that get you a different status? Listen, hey, I don't have a comma MDiv. Isn't that great? Does that give me a better status in heaven? It doesn't. The question is, do I trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior? And if I don't, none of the rest matters. None of the rest matters. So are we trying to have our power? Are we trying to trust our power, our status, our position more than where God has positioned us? It's a big difference. We all think, we all want to be the superhero, don't we? But until you're in the situation, you don't know what you would do. You'd like to think you would, but you don't know what you would want to do. And I just want to say I'm so thankful that Jesus is more than the superhero of my story. He's the savior of my story, and that's good enough for me. And it should be good enough for each and every one of us. See, Judah decided that they would try to appease everyone, to keep everyone happy, that they would put their hope in their possessions instead of pleading the cause of the orphan and the widow instead of seeking justice. And when you seek justice, Jesus is involved. They decided that they would take that in their own hands and it actually, they increased their storehouse. And then they decided that they wanted to have the highest status and the highest power. And so the question is for each and every one of us as, as we look at this, and, and that, like I said, Jeremiah is hard hitting. If you've ever read, I will tell you really quick before we get to the question is, uh, let me tell you how hard hitting Jeremiah is. I look for a Bible plan for us to have as a church through Jeremiah. And I barely found like, uh, there's some in there. The only one that you have the most of is verse Jeremiah 29, 11, that always gets misused because they forget that God says, yes, he does have great plans for your life, but that was right before they go into Babylonian captivity. He was telling them that. That's what we don't like. We neglect talking about that part. We love that. But that's all you can see. That's the only plan because Jeremiah is so hard. So we're reading a plan that you can read with your child right now because it's the only thing that they're like, there's not many plans on Jeremiah because Jeremiah is just like, hey, if you don't turn to the Lord, you're going to go into captivity. Do what you want to do. I'm going to be fine. Jesus said he's got to protect me. You do what you want to do. I'm going to do what I got to do. And that was it. He just, he just dropped it. And he just walked off stage. I, I ain't even praying. I'm good. Like he was done. He just walked out. That's what he might drop. So it's really hard to have it, but it's something that we have to, we, it focuses us back on Jesus. So listen, when we think about the false God of power and we think about our status, I just want to be real. If God has the power to speak life into existence, what power do we, his created, really have? Why do we shortchange him? If he's the one who created the heavens and earth, he is the one who conquered sin, death, held the grave. Why do we think we have any power? And you know what? I don't want any power because when I have power, all of a sudden you think I can do something I can't. I don't. I mean, I notice I'm, I got the power. I don't have the power. God does. That's what we have to do. We don't have, like, I, I, I joke around and say that, but like, for real, for real. Are we resting in our power? Because as I get older, I'm going to tell you what now. My power ain't nothing. I ain't got no power. And I'm not even that old. I, I got the power to have indoor plumbing. Hallelujah. I'm just saying. That's the only power I have. You know what power I have best? Is to get on my knees and lay it to the Lord. And that's where Judah missed it. And if we're not careful, we will. And that's not what I want. So the question that we have to have is, is God fully in control of me? Or am I spending all my time manipulating others to get control? Is God in control of me? Is God over? Is he Lord of my life? Or am I trying to pull the strings to get things to work out the way I want it to work out? That's a big difference. See, that's where Judah was. Judah said, we're going, we're going to give our little offerings over here. Yeah, we're going to bring our tithes and celebrate the festivals, all that crazy good stuff, Lord, but we're going to hedge our bets with appeasement, and we're going to trade with them. 
So when they come to try to overtake us, they're going to see their God hanging in my living room, all right, or their God in my pocket because that's their, their social media, whatever that is. They're, they're going to have that. And then all of a sudden, when that happens, they're going to see, like, I've got all of these followers, so I'm pretty important. So they're not going to come after me. Hmm. Still happens. So how do, we, how do we avoid this? How do we look at the check engine light? It's real simple. How do we respond to what God has so we don't get caught into those false gods, listen to God's warning, and walk in obedience to him? That simple and that hard. You're going to hear that all the time. Like right now, if the Holy Spirit is moving, it's probably hitting as it did me, as it's still hitting me right now. Like something is coming against us probably. The Holy Spirit is saying, hey, you, you're appeasing something. You're resting in your power on something. You're resting in your possession in something. See, God's warning wasn't so that the people would be destroyed. It's so that they could be back in right relationship. See, we get caught in religious rituals, and that's all Judah did. And that's when Jesus came, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that's what they did. They had rituals. They just, they had rituals to hide their sin. That's why when Jesus comes and the woman's caught in adultery, I'm telling you, I believe with all of my heart, when he bent down and all those religious leaders said, let's stone her, he just started writing their sins one by one, and they left. Because if they really followed the law, it said, Ye, that, that's where that comes from, you without sin cast a first stone. And Jesus was like, well, let me, let me just go ahead, get Bob's. He eats a lot of flat donuts. <laughs> Let's pray for him. He didn't eat any watermelon. Let's get, with, let's get with Billy over here. I'm in on the bees right now, I'm sorry. And he just goes through. And so the question is for each and every one of us, for real, for real. The beauty of that sin is Jesus paid it fully on the cross. All we are called to do and the Christian life is called to do is be marked by confession and repentance and trust him with it. And Judah wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. They were so afraid of losing what they have. See, re religious ritual will do that. And you have to keep adding to it. When it comes to religious, have you not noticed that? All of a sudden when you get caught, if you want to know if you're in a ritual of something, you're probably in a ritual with something because you're, you're, uh, you're not satisfied. And so you keep adding on top of it to get satisfied. You keep adding and adding and adding and adding. So all of a sudden, your prayer's not enough or your Bible reading's not enough. So everybody's got to see you do 50 Bible reading plans or blah, 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 blah. All of those things you start adding, that's when it becomes a ritual. God says, I don't need none of that. As a matter of fact, it, it, he says, hey, don't even bring your sacrifices. Don't even bring your offerings to the temple if you have a problem with your neighbor. Settle that first, then bring your offering. That's where we can get stuck, and that's what we have to understand is right relationship is what it's all about. For each and every one of us, the question is, and I just want to be real, this is what I love about this, this is a challenge, is are we going to stop making excuses? I don't mean being a, a dope. I don't mean being a jerk. I don't mean being just a complete just tool. God has given us an opportunity. I'm thankful that we've stepped up as a church to do it. Will we continue to bring it to the street? Will we continue to be who he has called us to be? Because here's the thing. I always want us to be here for the right reason. Do you know why I'm here today? It's not to preach. It's because I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And the only hope I have is in Christ Jesus. And that's the only thing I can give you. I can't give you anything else. I can point you to the spirit. I can point you to God's word, but I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And that's what we get to share with the world if it's about anything else, it's a ritual. Jesus said, go out, make disciples. Yes, and how do we make disciples? Love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and soul, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourself. So will we go out in the street and do that? Because if we're here for anything other than Christ as our Savior, we're missing out. We got to go back to that. Do you ever go back to that? Do you ever go back to when Christ said, do you ever go back when you realize that Jesus, like for the first time the Holy Spirit, you responded to it and you were like, I, I know I'm a sinner in need of a savior. Do you ever go back to that? Because if we don't go back to that, we lose it. That's what happened with Judah. They didn't go back to that. They didn't go back to that salvation. I don't mean that you're going to hell and you lose your salvation. I'm saying you don't share it. When I say you lose it, you miss out on the building and planting because you've forgotten your first love. And if we look in Revelation with the church in Ephesus, God says, hey, you did all these great things, but you for one thing I have against you is you forgot your first love. 
You're thinking back to your first love right now, aren't you? It's all right. <laughs> Think to Jesus being your first love, him being your treasure. That's what we're called to share. So as we wrap up, it's a hard message because we're going to celebrate crazy next week, but it's the real. What check engine light does God have for you right now? What is he telling you? Is it a relationship? Is it a job? Is it a, is it a, is it a, a status? Is it, a, is it an appeasement? Is it trying to be in the world and, uh, and, and of the world instead of being of Christ in the world? Like, what is it? What's the warning? What's the check engine light he has flashing around? Maybe, maybe it's the people of God warning you and you don't want to listen. What is it? Because, see, God puts up the check engine light because here's the thing. Judah knew that there was something coming against them, but they didn't know what was going to go through. See, God tells Jeremiah in this, as Jeremiah tells Judah, hey, you're going to go to captivity, but I'm going to bring you back in 70 years. And that's when Nehemiah comes and the wall's there and they go build it up. He tells them that they're going to be destroyed because he knows that they're going to turn, continue to turn their back on him. So what's the warning light that God's putting up? to try to save you from this, this just devastation. God's not angry at you for devastation. He wants you to be in right relationship with him. And so wherever you are right now, like I just honestly, with this hard message, if you don't get anything out of what I'm saying, sometimes uh, uh, if you're listening to me instead of the Holy Spirit, you're definitely not gonna get anything out of what I'm saying. But I just wanna say this, because I mean it. We are sinners, narcissistic wrecks of human beings. Without Jesus, we are hopeless, helpless. We are manipulators. We are controllers. We care about our status. We care about our possessions. And we care about making everybody happy so that way we think it brings us happiness. We are literally helpless and hopeless without Jesus. But you see, God's anger is he did something about it. He cared for us enough that he said, I'm not okay without you being in a relationship with me. So instead of just sitting here on my throne in heaven, I'm going to step down to earth in my son and I'm going to do for you what you couldn't do for yourself. I'm going to live the perfect life you couldn't live, making you righteous, bringing you back into right relationship with me. I'm going to bear the full wrath and penalty for your sin, death itself on the cross. But here's the thing, I'm going to love you enough I'm going to love you enough that I'm going to let you be who you were created to be now. I'm going to actually dwell inside of you, my sanctuary, you, my church, you. I'm going to dwell inside of you. Like, I'm not going to have a right relationship where you got to schedule a time to be with me. I will always be with you. And he rose again on the third day so that his spirit can live in us. That is what Jesus did for us. That is why we are here. It is what we do. It isn't to win an argument. It isn't to get out there and, 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 and be on the right side of a politics or be on the right side of a law or the right side of a Supreme Court decision. It, none of that junk matters. I shared this week, and I'll wrap it up to say this. Sometimes I get emails or messages about what we believe and why we believe it, and I give the same answer, and I, I never hear back from people. That's how I know they're frustrated. It's the same answer every time. What did Jesus say about it? Because that's what we believe. It's that simple. Well, what, 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 what about this? What, what, what did Jesus say about it? Well, I can't, I, I, I can't find it, so then it don't matter. Then does it? What did Jesus say about it? All we care about is we are sinners in need of a Savior. The rest builds upon that. Everything else takes care of itself if we have that. But if we forget that or we walk away from that, that's when we miss it. So as we wrap up, what's that warning like? Maybe right now, uh, if you're listening online or you're throughout the loop, the, you're, you're seeing that you've been trying to, to fight that God of appeasement, that God of possession, that God of power, and you're seeing, uh, you are seeing for the first time that maybe Jesus is what you need. You see, God isn't, gonna, God isn't a God of appeasement. God isn't a God that, that can never be satisfied. See, Jesus came to fully satisfy for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. So here's the thing. Are you going to keep working for something that's already been done? Or are you going to rest in what's already been done so that you can work? That's what it's all about. Jesus has already done it for us. God is fully satisfied in Christ. And so the question is, will you keep chasing those things? Because in the end, Judah goes into captivity. And here's what I will tell you. Every time you follow a false god, it'll always lead you into slavery. It'll always lead you into captivity. It'll always destroy you. But in Christ, you will find life. So have you considered Jesus? Paul writes it this way in Galatians 4, verse 3 through 5. So also when we were underage, when we were young, when we were spiritually Immature, when we did not know Christ, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. 
But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. What does that mean? It means we are hopeless, helpless, and orphans in sin, but in God, we have a family. In God, we belong. In God, through Christ, we have hope. And so will we continue to walk as hopeless, helpless people, thinking that the government's going to solve our problems? When's the last time that happened? Are we going to see that Jesus has already done it for us? So with every head bow and every eye closed, why we do what we do is so that those who have never considered Jesus for the first time come to saving faith, come to realize it's not the words of this prayer that saves you. It's the faith. It's the faith. It's literally what we're about to pray is that I can't save myself by my righteousness. In spite of my sin, no matter how many times I tie that church, no matter how many times I serve at the soup kitchen, no matter how many good deeds I do, no matter how many groceries I pay for for someone or how much I give and above, over and above my taxes, how much I give to the person on the side of the road, that I can never, never make myself right with God, that it will always be an endless cycle of dissatisfaction. But instead... I can be made whole in Christ who's already done that work for me. Christ, his righteousness, he came to make us righteous. We can never earn our righteousness because when we try to, we can just keep trying to do more and more and more and more and more and it never works. So what we are praying in this prayer is we are receiving this free gift of salvation. We are receiving Christ's righteousness and saying, Jesus, I can't save myself. I trust you as my savior. And then we are saying we're making him Lord of our life. He is guiding our steps and we are gonna walk in obedience to him for the time he has us on this earth and for eternity. So with every head bow and every eye closed, we're gonna pray this prayer out loud. It's the faith that saves you, not the word. So would you please repeat these words after me? Dear Jesus, I believe I'm a sinner separated from you. I believe you came, lived the perfect sinless life, I couldn't live. Die the death I deserve, paying the penalty for my sins on the cross. But love me enough not to stay dead, but rose again on the third day so that I may have life. Come take over my life, Lord. Teach me to follow you step by step the rest of my life the best way I know how. With every head bow and every eye closed, if you're in the house or you're listening online, I'm going to ask you on the count of three to boldly raise your hand. And for the first time, you have prayed this prayer of faith and received the free gift of salvation that Jesus came, lived, died, and rose again to give us. One, two, three. Would you raise your hand if you're in the house? If you're, in, if you're online, it's the first time you've ever prayed to receive Jesus. Would you shoot us a message? Would you reach out to us at prayer at divine.tv? We want to celebrate this decision. We don't just want to say, hey, you're saved, awesome, and be done. We actually want to get you plugged into a local church because it's important that you are in a local church so that you can be a part of being built up and rooted as God called Jeremiah to do. And for the rest of us, uh, we're, we're about to have a, you can look up, we're about to worship, and we're going to worship knowing that we are no longer slaves to sin, knowing that we are no longer, that even in our immaturity, God did something for us in spite of us, that God's righteous anger isn't at us, it's at the sin in us. And God loved us enough, he did something about it. That's what we get to share with the world. He did something about it. We get to share Jesus. So would you stand and sing?
we are so thankful that you have come to worship with us and lift Jesus' name high. I just have a question. How great that even in being slaves to sin, God still loved us enough that he did something about it, that he has set us free, that we no longer have to be under the penalty of sin and death, and that's what we get to share with the world because the world's going to keep doing what the world does. It's been doing it since it's been created. So we get to share the hope of Jesus Christ. So I hope and pray no matter what today, maybe you got convicted of something. Jesus always convicts me when I'm here. Maybe you have a next step to take. We want to celebrate that with you. But your next step may be to come hang out with us next week as we celebrate some awesome babies. And I promise you, it's going to be awesome in that we're going to hear cries, screams. There's probably going to be something off-scripted, off-the-wall, and it's going to be awesome. And you don't want to miss it in person. We can't wait to see you then. Have an awesome week. And always remember, the best is still yet to come.